So I thought we would talk uh, this week about what's the point of the Bible. And that might sound like a, a bit of a strange question because if there's one thing that you would think would be taken for granted in a church, then it would be the place of the Bible. But I wonder if you've ever asked yourself, what exactly is the Bible for? What is the point of us having the Bible? Now, if you ask some people, they might say, well, it's for us to find help when we need it. Uh, like in the front of those Gideon's Bibles, if you've ever seen one of those, they have a section that is called uh, where, to help, uh, where to Find Help with the Problems of Life. And, and that's okay, that can be good, but it, actually Psalm 46 says that it's God who is our refuge and strength, that he's our ever-present help in times of trouble. That's why we will not fear, it says. Another thing that people sometimes say is that the Bible is there to give us God's promises for us. Christian bookshops even have products to help us with that. But the only problem with using the Bible like a promise box is what about the rest of the Bible? We can't just read all the nice verses. What about the ones that aren't so nice? Like when Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must take up his cross daily. Or when he said, in this world you will have trouble. You won't find those promises in a promise box. Another thing that you may have heard people say is that the Bible is God's instruction manual for human life. Like the instructions that come with a wardrobe from Ikea. Or hopefully, if you ever try to assemble one, not like the instructions that you get with a wardrobe from Ikea because they are completely incomprehensible. Um, here's an example of, of that thinking that I found on the internet. When a manufacturer makes a machine, they also provide an instruction manual on how to operate the machine. And when God made us, he also gave us an instruction manual telling us how we were designed to be operated, the Bible. When you follow God's instruction manual, everything works right, and you have spiritual health, happiness, and mental stability. When you disregard the instructions, you have confusion, frustration, unhappiness, emotional imbalance, and mental disarray. Hmm. I wonder if you're experiencing, if you are experiencing confusion, frustration, unhappiness, emotional imbalance, or mental disarray, is that really because you've been disregarding the instructions? There are plenty of people and maybe some of us here this morning for whom everything in life does not always work right. It's a bit simplistic to say that, well, that's because you haven't been following the instructions. And anyway, which particular instructions are we supposed to follow? Before we uh, move on from this, I, I couldn't resist sharing you one other article that I found uh, on the internet when I was researching this. This was in Charisma magazine. This was the headline, and this was the photo. And the caption below it said, The Bible is designed by God to provide us a blueprint for living a healthy life. Ladies and gentlemen, if that is a picture of God's blueprint for living a healthy life, personally, I would rather be unhealthy. If that is a picture of what abundant life looks like. Anyway, let's go back to that last question, shall we? If we're supposed to be following these uh, instructions, then which instructions exactly? There are 783,137 words in the Bible. 
in the King James Version. I have calculated for you that it will take nearly four days just to read it out loud. And that is without loo breaks. And I can't even begin to think, if you're the sort of person who only reads the Bible on the loo, then... (laughs) But, you know, that's an awful lot to remember, isn't it? And to put into practice if you're going to have this spiritual health, happiness and mental stability. And actually, it kind of gets worse than that. Someone has calculated, and you would think they'd have better things to do with their life, but someone has calculated that of those 783,137 words, 75% is narrative, which is stories and history and so on. 15% is poetry and songs. And only 10% is instructions, and what we call uh, propositions, which are like truth statements. So how are we supposed to take instructions from stories and poems? How do we find the instructions? And which ones are still relevant to modern life? Now, you would think that if the Bible is God's instruction manual, then all of them would be. That we can't just pick and choose the verses that we agree with. So on the basis of that, then I'm afraid a few of you are in deep trouble. Who says we never do any of that old-fashioned fire and brimstone stuff at Aylesbury Vineyard? Let me give you a few examples. The Apostle Paul, who founded the church in Corinth, writes to them and he says, Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? So maybe Jesus didn't have long hair after all. Mark James, take note. Have a little look round and see if there's any bloke here today who is not following the Bible's instructions on that one. Now, one or two have taken this to heart already. They've really taken this to heart. Um, uh, James tweets, for example. No, no danger of him uh, disobeying. How about this one? This is that same Paul, same letter. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. Hands up any woman who's spoken in church recently. Shame on you. Hands up any man who thinks that agreeing with this instruction is the route to spiritual health, happiness, and mental stability. (laughs) Sir, you are a braver man than I am. While we're on a roll here, how about a couple from the Old Testament? Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material, Leviticus 19.19. How are we going to test this one? Okay, have a look down the neck of the person sitting in front of you. (laughs) At the label in the back here and see if they're obeying that one. Now, obviously folks, I am just kidding, but why would God say that? And while we're trying to figure it out, you may be interested to know that that particular instruction is right next to this one, love your neighbour as yourself. So that one obviously still applies, so why not the other one? So no more polyester and cotton shirts, I'm afraid. But before we all despair of knowing which instructions we're supposed to follow and which we're not, I must just share one last one with you. And I am indebted to my lovely wife, Lynn, for first pointing this one out to me. This will tell you the sort of things she reads in the Bible. 
If two men are fighting and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from his assailant and she reaches out and seizes him by his private parts, you shall cut off her hand. Show her no pity. It gets better. This is how the King James Version translates this unspeakable crime. Taketh him by the secrets. Don't say you never learn anything at Ellsbury Vineyard. There's something worth chatting about with the kids over Sunday lunch. Now, obviously, I am not trying to have a go at the Bible, and I'm not trying to make fun of the Bible. As uh, Christians, especially evangelicals, the Bible is very important to us. We believe that it is the Word of God. Some of it is very obvious, and anyone can pick it up and read it and know what it means. And that is what we call the main and the plain. But some of it isn't plain, is it? And it requires what we call interpretation. And uh, some Christians get a bit twitchy about that word, interpretation. Uh, Ian Paul says that many ordinary readers of the Bible feel very nervous when interpretation is mentioned. Because for some, interpretation means making the Bible mean what it doesn't say. But you know, the reality is that no one ever just reads the Bible. We're all Bible interpreters in some way and in some degree whenever we read anything. There is no interpretation-free way of just reading it. And actually, you know, most of the problems that people have with the Bible, and if you do some research as to what atheists say, most of their problems are not so much caused by the Bible as the way that people interpret the Bible and use the Bible, especially when they use it as a weapon to beat people up with. So I'd suggest that it's not interpretation that's the problem, it's bad interpretation. And maybe one of the main reasons for that is because of people's expectations of the Bible. So maybe we should go right back to the beginning and challenge this whole idea that the Bible is supposed to be God's instruction manual in the first place. Not because it doesn't include any instructions, and not because none of them make sense anymore. One of the verses that we looked at last Sunday is a great example of that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. But if we go back to those uh, statistics that we looked at, if only 10% of the whole Bible is instructions and propositions, truth statements about what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to believe, then why is that? If it was supposed to just be God's instruction manual, why isn't it 100% instructions? Why is 90% of it stories and poems and songs? And of course, the reason is, as you probably realise, it never was God's instruction manual in the first place. So it's really time for us to stop calling it that. We've made the Bible into something that it was never intended to be. Now, no one's done that deliberately, but because we live in the age of the machine and the age of instruction manuals, and because we know that the Bible is the word of God and he is timeless, so we assume that all of the Bible must be timeless as well. We've made some assumptions about the Bible based on that. 
We've kind of forgotten that in the first instance, the Bible was written to other people. It wasn't written directly to us here and now. So we are eavesdropping on their conversations and we're reading about their experiences. Now that doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to us. It just means that we can't blindly copy and paste whatever it was saying to them then and assume that it's saying the same thing to us now without thinking about it a bit along the way. And that's where most of the problems come from when we don't do that. Now you can probably see already how this has all the potential to get a bit complicated. So I'm going to try as best I can to keep it simple without making it too simplistic. The reason that we have interpretation at all is so that we can move from the question, what does the Bible say, to what does the Bible mean? And that is not about making it mean what it doesn't say. It's actually the very opposite. Because we all know that what someone said is far less important than what they meant by what they said. Yes? So if I uh, leave the office and before I go I say something to Jess and then later on Jess is telling Sarah what I said and that doesn't make sense to Sarah, then she'll say to Jess, what did Steve mean by that? Because what I said is no use to them unless they know what I meant by it. Now, of course, in in this instance, there's every possibility that I didn't know what I meant. Um, (laughs) But the illustration works fine if it's God that we're talking about. So what does the Bible say by itself is actually never enough. We also need to be asking, what does it mean? And that always starts with, what did it mean then? when it was first written by that original author to his original audience. Now, some of that will be stark staring obvious. It will be part of the main and the plain, like the verses I mentioned a moment ago. But other bits will not be so obvious. And if you think about it, it's kind of unrealistic to expect that, isn't it? From 783,137 words. So just because some bits aren't that obvious doesn't mean that the Bible is flawed as a result, nor does it mean that it isn't the Word of God as well. But if we can figure out what it would have meant to people then, in their situation, in their circumstances, in relation to the issues that they were facing in their lives and the people in their story, what God was saying to them then and doing then, that will give us a a good platform for deciding what it might mean to us now, how it can speak to our situations and circumstances and the issues that we're facing and the people in our story, what God is saying to us now and doing now. And that brings us on to uh, another good question, which is, what do we mean when we say the Bible is the Word of God? And, you know, interestingly, there's only one verse that directly talks about the nature of the Bible, and that is 2 Timothy 3.16, where it says, all scripture is God-breathed. So that's a great phrase. Some versions say inspired, but it comes from the same idea of breathing in. So God has breathed into the Bible 
just like it says the resurrected Jesus breathed on the disciples in John 20 when he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has been breathed into the scriptures so that his breath inhabits them in some mysterious way. Notice that it says God breathed, not God dictated. Nowhere in scripture does it say that. So God has deliberately chosen to use human authors to communicate through them what he wanted to convey. And of course, he did so using words and ideas and concepts and examples from their everyday lives, things that would have been familiar to them and their original audiences. And if he hadn't done that, if if you think about it, then it wouldn't have made any sense to them at all at the time. They could hardly have heard God in words and concepts and examples of things that wouldn't be invented until a thousand years later, could they? So it would have been impossible for everything in the Bible to have been made timeless. That doesn't mean that none of it is. It just means that not all of it is. And that brings us back to the reason for narrative and stories which 75% of the Bible is made up of. I don't mean fairy stories or fiction, although some of it is intended to be picture language, like parables are. I'm talking about the stories of people's lives, their experiences of God, their experiences of life, stories in which we see people misunderstanding God and understanding God as well. We see their triumphs and their traumas. We see people like us who get things right and wrong like we do. And the reason why 75% of the Bible is made up of stories is basically because stories are pretty timeless. Stories are also usually about relationships, aren't they? I doubt that you can think of a film or a drama series on TV that actually isn't built around relationships of people in that story. So the Bible does that too. Relationships with God and relationships with people. We identify with people in stories, don't we? We see ourselves in them. If it's a classic story of goodies and baddies, we're inclined to see ourselves as one of the goodies, aren't we? Whenever I watch a James Bond film, I always picture myself as 007. (laughs) Not Q, uh, and certainly not Miss Moneypenny. And I always think that if things had worked out, then I could have been a Secret Service agent. But sometimes, you know, God may be saying to us, actually, aren't you a bit more like the baddie in this story? So I want to finish this morning with uh, three easy things to remember that I hope will help us a little bit in interpreting the Bible. Three things that I hope we'll be able to still remember at lunchtime and maybe even Monday morning as well. And then we'll finish with what I think is the answer to that question that we started with. What is the point of the Bible in the first place? So number one, remember that the Bible isn't just the word of God. It's also the word of man. I could have said humanity or people to be properly correct, but it's easier to remember like that. 
And what I mean is that we have to be sensitive to hearing the human element in what we're reading, not just the divine element. God made it that way. God designed it that way. So we shouldn't think that we know better by trying to take the humanity out of it. It doesn't honour God more when we do that. So we need to listen carefully for both coming through because God is speaking to us through both. Remember what I said a moment ago about how God spoke using words and ideas and concepts and examples from their everyday lives, things that would have been familiar to the biblical authors and to their audience. That was the vehicle that he spoke through. And remember too that as the biblical story unfolds over time, what we see is an emerging and developing understanding of who this God is and what he's like. Remember that they didn't know then everything that we know now. So the information about who God is and what he's like that was available to Abraham or Moses or King David is not the same as the information that's available to us now. So don't read that in to how you read their stories. They all had very different understandings of how the world worked and how society worked and how religions worked and what was obviously naturally the case and not so much the case. So they weren't necessarily hearing timeless truths from God that he intended us to copy and paste from then into now. So God speaks to us through the humanity of the Bible, not just the divinity of the Bible. Number two, remember that Jesus is our interpretive lens for who God is and what he's like. Now, that that could sound a little bit complicated, but, but trust me, it isn't. All it means is what Jesus said. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, John 14, 9. And Colossians 1, 15, where it tells us that Jesus is the exact likeness of the unseen God, the visible representation of the invisible. In other words, if we have any questions about what God is like, past, present, or future, all we have to do is look at Jesus. If we want to know how God thinks and feels and what's important to him, and what he would say and do in any situation, and what his attitudes are and his priorities are, all we need to do is look at the things that Jesus said and did, and what his attitudes and priorities were. Because God never changes in nature and character. So when God became man in Jesus, he wasn't different to the God of the Old Testament he perfectly revealed the God of the Old Testament that he'd always been like from the beginning of time. The invisible God became visible in Jesus. What he's like and what he's always been like is what Jesus was like. So if we wonder whether people in times past were getting it right or wrong in terms of what God was like and what they perceived God was saying and doing, all we need to do is ask ourselves whether that's what Jesus was like and whether that's what he would have said or done. And if not, then maybe the scripture is telling us how people can misunderstand God and mishear God. 
Quick example, if we take one of the most difficult passages in the whole Bible, which is Deuteronomy 20, 16 to 17, where we read this. In the cities of the nations the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, do not leave alive anything that breathes. Completely destroy them, the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Now, if we're honest, that sounds pretty much like Islamic State genocide, doesn't it? Okay, so what do we do with that? Well, we have a couple of options. One is, we say, oh, well, if that's what the Bible says, then God must have had his reasons. His ways are higher than our ways, and all that sort of thing. Or we say, well, you know, I can't really imagine Jesus saying that. He is the exact image of the unseen God. Anyone who's seen him has seen the Father. And I think he'd be more likely to say, love your enemies. So maybe this was a case of people thousands of years ago still getting used to this God and assuming that the sort of thing he would say was the sort of thing that all gods were expected to say in those warfare situations. Maybe that broke God's heart at the time, that his people could so misunderstand him to think that he would say something like that. So you can choose whichever approach you think, because to be honest, I don't know for sure. I know all the reasons why people sometimes go for the first way of reading it, But personally, I think the second way is the better one. And just as an aside, this also reminds us of one good way of testing prophecy nowadays. How does it correspond to what Jesus is like and the kind of thing Jesus would say? And then finally, number three, which kind of ties in with number two, because all three of these kind of work together. Uh, This one is especially helpful, I think, when it comes to the Old Testament commandments, deciding which ones of those still apply to us today in the same way. And maybe that those that don't and those that apply in part or in spirit. The first test for whether something still applies to us today is whether Jesus also said it or somewhere else in the New Testament says it. Then it's definitely still important today. But if he didn't say it, or somewhere else in the New Testament doesn't say it, then be guided by what we call the great commandment. The one that Jesus, when Jesus was asked which was the most important, he answered with this one. And that, of course, was this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So if all of the rest hang on these two, as Jesus said, then let those be your interpretive lens for the rest of them. But don't just pick one of these. Remember the great commandment is both of them at the same time. It's both and, not either or. So the very last thing to say, the question that we started with right at the beginning, what is the point of the Bible? The point of the Bible is not to give us instructions because when it comes right down to it, as we've seen, the Bible is not primarily just a rule book. And it's not just to give us some nice promises. 
And it's not just so that we can find verses to help when we need them. I would suggest to you that the Bible is more like a personal letter written by God to us. Just as the life of Jesus is like a personal letter written by God to us. So I would suggest to you that the point of the Bible is very simple. It's to show us who God is and what he's like, his nature and his character. I would suggest to you that it's our window into what God is like. The God who first loved us and invites us to love him in return. The God who didn't just shout instructions down from heaven, but the God who came to us to show us what God is like. We see there how the way that Jesus loves people who are vulnerable and afraid and lost in the Bible is the same kind of way that he loves us when we're vulnerable and afraid and lost. The way he worked in people's lives is the way that he works in our lives. We find him in the battles of life in the same way that they found him in the battles of life. The way that he loves broken and flawed people in the Bible is the way that he loves us as broken and flawed people. This is what the stories are telling us. And that's so important because the Bible also shows us what we're like as well. And that can be uncomfortable, can't it? Like when Jeremiah says the human heart is deceitful above all things, Jeremiah 17. And when the Apostle Paul says everyone has sinned, no one measures up to God's glory, Romans 3. But the Bible doesn't show us what we're like in order to just depress us. God loves us as we are, but he also loves us too much to leave us that way. So because we see God transforming lives in the Bible, when we see the Holy Spirit moving in the Bible, we can see the potential for our lives to be transformed as well and the Holy Spirit to be moving in our lives too. So maybe I can ask Mike and the guys to come back up. Thank you. So shall we resolve never just to say to people the Bible says and leave it at that not with 783,137 words to choose from let's make sure that we never forget the point of the Bible which is to show us and to help us to show others who God is and what he's like his nature and his character yes there are some instructions in the Bible there are even some uncomfortable ones and some challenging ones. But Jesus said that the first and most important one, where it all starts from, is this one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That's the point of the Bible. And why does it tell us to do that? Why is that an instruction to us? Why is it the most important one? It's because... He first loved us. Everything else flows from that.